From multiple virtual locations in Minneapolis, or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, a show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark McCroy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Jonathan Jennings to discuss programming VR games. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Johnny. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm super stoked to be here. Thank you. I'm super stoked about your shirt, which, of course, is not something podcast listeners can see, but it is <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 90s babies. I, that, that was my, I think my sister said one of my, my earliest memories was I was watching the show and I just started kicking people. And I was a really quiet kid, so I was really out of, like, that wasn't me. But they are like, why is he kicking people? And then, like, they realized, I saw Michelangelo kick people, I wanted to kick people. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what you do. And so it also made, it made sense when you came home with some nunchucks. <laughs> yeah. So Tipper Gore was right. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about this before the show a little bit, but, like, everyone's got a favorite Ninja Turtle, and you were saying it changes... Through the year, I have a theory about that, which is that every young kid loves Michelangelo. Mm, then, yep. when every teenager loves Raphael, yeah, and then when you're an fair. adult, you're like, "Oh, I'm going to be a leader like like Leonardo, or I'm just a nerd like Donatello." Wow, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I think I definitely appreciate Leonardo and Donatello more as an adult. Like they're the boring mm-hmm. ones, like. Poles or whatever, you know, poles are cool, I guess, you know, but, uh, yeah. but no, that's, that's a really solid, I like that theory. Yeah. Yeah. Like as a kid, you would like Donatello because he had the reach in the video game, right? With the thing. Oh, ultimately, yeah. it's just, he's just a guy with a stick and that's not fun for kids. They wait, want the, wait, they hold, want the wacky hold on button. a second. Donatello yeah. was the engineer. He's always been my favorite. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, Thank you. Good. So he made all the tech, he did all the work, and Leonardo got all the credit, and Raphael complained about it, and Michelangelo just goose off. So uh-huh. <laughs> that's all I feel about it. Um, so according to this theory, what does it mean about me if I still think Mikey is my favorite? <laughs> <laughs> um, you just really like pizza? I don't know. <laughs> I do. Do you skateboard? <laughs> Badly. <laughs> <laughs> you and Mike, Mikey have that in common, then I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Maybe we should probably talk about VR, I guess. That is the topic of the day. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, if we must. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to ask you, like, in terms of programming VR games, I haven't... Uh, I've only done like a little bit of VR development and I ever only ever did it really with like game design. I didn't do any programming involved. Is there like right. a lot of things that you have to consider differently with programming a VR game versus programming a regular game? You think? Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Cause there's a couple, like there's a lot of intimidation when it comes to people uh, entering VR and yeah. When I boil it down, I tell people, like, actually, VR is just like making any other kind of game. The difference is your player's the camera, right? And sure, sure. that is a very simple, like, difference. But the 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 things you have to, um, the adjustments you have to make around that, that's where, like, the complexity comes around programming. Because okay. uh, interactions change, like, the texture of interactions change, uh, how people... Um, 
do everything, locomotion, all that stuff like changes because um, there's actual person, there's, uh, you know, like motion sickness, there's yeah. um, uh, actual movement speeds. There's, there's just a lot of like the actual functionality doesn't change. It's more understanding how people interact with the experience and how you have to cater to that um, as an added level for people. Does that make sense? Is that- yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. interesting mm-hmm. definition of like you are the camera because I think when people talk about VR, they talk about like oh, it's it's three D and it's presence. It's like being there and you can use your hands. Yeah. But the principal right. difference is that you're the camera. Like in a first right. person game, you control the camera, and so it's up to the right. designer to to create the interface for that. But that I, right. I really really like that distinction. Is like that's where it all stems from. Is that mm-hmm. and the, and the designer and the programmer can't basically is can't give you the, the interface it's been it's been removed entirely and that creates like right. way more challenges right than than the other things about vr the stereoscopic elements or the uh, hand tracking or all those things like those are all incidental to the that right. that core idea i love elegant language and that's such an elegant way of getting at the core difference and i i can now and haven't really thought about it this way before but now that you've made that explicit like you don't have to teach someone how to use their head you know like you have to teach someone how to use this twin sticks to control the camera yeah. And if they're like me, they're always going to be frustrated with it. And they'll never remember if it's inverse or not. Um, but I know how to work my head. Right. So <laughs> that's so many, like, that's actually a totally different level of challenge and different, a different nature of challenge for the designer, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, I will, I will say as far as like teaching people that they don't have to use their head. I tried to introduce my mom to the PlayStation VR at one point. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a underwater experience where you're like in a water cage and like I put the headset on my mom and she was looking forward and I was like, mom, there's stuff happening around you. Right. But she kept looking forward and she's like, no, this is cool, babe. This is, this is, I love it. I love what's going on here. Like, but mom, there's no, it's thank, thank you for humoring me, mom. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's some similarities between like for people where they're like VR in a movie, like where like when you're watching a movie, you don't, unless the screen is gigantic and you're like right in front of it. Uh, you yeah. don't really move your head. You're just looking straight at the screen. And I wonder if a lot of people are like coming into VR thinking, oh, I'll just look at this like I would if I was sitting at home on my couch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what makes VR movies difficult, right? Because yeah. uh, the, the the person who's creating a VR movie is like, oh, it'll be great. You can like look behind stuff. But people don't watch yeah, the movies right. that way and they're never going to right. do it. And I, But VR games are the same way. If you have like, a, you know, a, a shooter or like even like a game like Beat Saber, which is very physical. People mm-hmm. didn't, do tend to, uh, high-level players tend to, tend to stand very still, right? They don't, yeah. uh, and so, um, I mean, Beat Saber could work as just a PlayStation Move game or a Wii game if the precision was mm-hmm. enough. It really could. Right. Um, but uh, you, the, the, you have to encourage people to actually move their head. You can't just uh, expect they're going to. And then, mm-hmm. but that's, that leads really back into the, like, programming for it, right? Is to make sure that you can, like, have systems that are optimized for what you expect the player is going to do in an environment right. where you don't always know what the player is going to do. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like, I think one of my, so we, we never released it, but um, I work on, I've worked on like on XR in general. So I work on AR, VR, um, but uh, for Magic League, we had application, right? And the idea was you'd be able to project like a ray cast into a room and you'd be able to place um, an experience on the floor. So um, we programmed that. I was really proud of that, but we programmed that. And once you place it on the floor, you basically tap a button on the controller and it rises like a tower rises out of the ground. Right. And functionally 
what I had to do was like, there's a spatial mesh and you basically project this ray and it basically makes a collision on the mesh. And then that's where you could center the experience. Mm-hmm. The, I guess that that's like the core, that's about all you can do. Cause after that point, like, I don't know what your room looks like, right? Like yeah. you might put on your couch, you might put on your coffee table, you can put on the floor, who knows? Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's really interesting. Like there's just a, there's a point of, I have to kind of trust the system to do what it does and then mm-hmm. let, let the player go. Right. Like it's, it's yeah. really, it's interesting. Yeah. And you have to account for elegant failures, right? Like you have to, because you can't, you can't account for every situation. So you have to make sure that the player understands that if they quote unquote, do it wrong or don't follow the instructions. And of course, nobody reads instructions. Then they understand that like, oh, this isn't the optimal experience that was set up for me that was designed or developed uh, for this. Um, So I'm not going to be mad at it. Hmm. uh, Even though they're like, because there's just way more edge cases for, especially in, in AR. So many. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hundred percent, yeah. And developing like algorithms to recognize those is like either yeah. from a design perspective, you could say like, oh, we're not going to account for all that. We're not going to make it complicated to develop. Um, but then we need to make sure the UX accounts for that, right? Or we make it make it uh, easy to approach and sort of a magical just works experience. But then it right. places way more burden on the developer to like recognize those edge cases and and resolve them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that's one thing, I guess, when I first started working, the Magic League was the headset I was really excited about. Um, mm-hmm. it, it still lives, but I wish that it was more popular than it is. Yeah. Um, but the first thing I imagined, I like, I wanted to make like my apartment to an armory. I wanted to like have axes, swords and maces all over my walls. Right. Yeah. And, um, there's ways to do that. And very much like you're talking about, Mark, like the design, the design concept is, so the way the Magic League works is you can essentially tell it when it's generating that spatial mesh. This, I want you to like respond to the floors a specific way. I want you to respond to the walls a specific way, all that stuff. And then once you kind of have that base, this, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of what the word is. It's like, um, basically like you define, like, I need you to treat this kind of, in this kind of boundary a certain way. I, you basically tell, hey, I want you to handle the walls and then I want you to lay out a grid and then I want you to spawn my weapons on the grid, right? And that's how I envisioned it. Uh, and yeah, so, but it's very much like you said, like it's kind of understanding like what the Magic Leap can give me as far as like tools to work with things and then yeah. kind of working with whatever those controls are. Hey, I know what a wall is. It's like, oh, okay, if you know what a wall is then I can give you a grid and then we can work together and put weapons all over a wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that sounds very similar to how you would program on like any console, really. You just have yeah. to understand the basic what, like how the console works and what the features that console can give you, and then program around that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. That's totally cool. That makes it sound a lot less intimidating than I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess um, to to process that idea out loud for me. I guess I had always thought like, oh yeah, if you're going to do anything AR, you know, you've got to basically program around the world. But really what you're saying is you have to program around the system's perception of the world. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Because I, because I can't write an algorithm that can tell me what your room looks like, right? I'll be honest, like my, I think I'm a decent programmer. I'm not that good of a programmer, but uh, if you could give me a system that can define like certain constraints of your room, then I can absolutely play within that space. Yeah. Okay. That's neat. That's cool. Yeah, I hadn't really considered it in that way, but that was a uh, a good way to make it accessible sounding. 
Um, uh, you brought up movement a little bit in uh, in the VR uh, a bit ago. I wanted to ask you about that, like how you. I know that movement in VR is difficult because it's not like you can physically move in this virtual world. Um, right. Otherwise, you're running the walls in your own home. So, like, how do you go about <laughs> how do you go about programming um, movement um, in a way that makes sense for the player and makes sense for um, the the infrastructure? So I think it depends on the kind of game, right? Because we, yeah. if you played any VR games, there's so many different types of locomotion styles, right? Right. Um, right. I know um, a friend of mine. He's working on. So I, I have. I'm working on an indie game called Galactic Bar Fight. And one of the things I obsessed about when I was working on this game was I wanted a lightsaber like sword. Um, Cause I guess I have a thing for swords that like in this, I didn't realize before this conversation, but I have a thing for swords. Okay, cool. Leonardo then. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> um, and uh, so for this sword specifically, like, when you when you swing a sword, you kind of need your feet planted, right? Because you kind of yeah. like there's some kind of traction that you need to like swing with your wrist. And right. so I'm very much a fan of teleportation for my game specifically. Okay. Um, but I've also seen games like I don't know. Have you any of you played Gorn? Gorn. I've seen many no, many no. gifs of that game. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's a it's a wild game. But um, basically, essentially, the way Gorn works is kind of like if you imagine a mime pulling a rope. That's how you move yourself in Gorn. You look in a direction, pull yourself, and then you could swing. And huh. they do that because, first of all, you Gorn is a weird physics game. So you kind of don't want, like, there's kind of a, I don't want to say unreliability, but you want, there's there's kind of a struggle you want your players to go through. It's like a wave-based combat game. Sure. And then a lot of your weapons are melee-based. So also that gives your players a chance to, like, pull themselves to where they need to go. Right. And then start swinging once their feet are planted. Um, I know I'm not a fan of like thumbstick motion stuff. Um, yeah. Like it can work, but I know it gives that actually gives me motion sickness, right? Um, okay. Huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but uh, programming that I think it's programming it isn't the hardest part. It's again, it's I think it's understanding what kind of experience you're going for. A lot of design. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Depending on like beef saber, right? Like all those squares going past you, you never move. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that works for the experience they're going because like you want to be more focused on the rhythm. You want to be more focused on all the things coming at you and kind of dodging the walls and all that. Like, it's, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's just it's it's really depending on the experience, like how you want players to move and um, the world to move around them and all that change. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about it in like terms of development largely because like I. Um, I think that, like, yeah, the, I think a lot of the difficulties with, like, creating a VR game is design, like you're saying, like, because there's there's a new constraints and new possibilities due to this uh, medium, but there is an aspect of of, uh, of VR development that, like, isn't maybe talked about as much, I guess, like, like there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of these back-end challenges, um, I think. I'm saying that like I know what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but I think like it seems that that's I think that's what intimidates me a lot about VR stuff is because like I I I think I could design a VR game that would feel intuitive enough um, for a player or at least like they can you know explore the world or stuff, but like developing that would be seems scary to me, and I think part of it also is just like the optimization of it, right? Like VR takes a lot of um, you know, it takes a lot of power in order to run these things. And so, like, you need to make sure that your game is uh, capable 
uh, running in whatever uh, your application. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, optimization is absolutely. I think that's probably. I would say that's like definitely one of the most challenging aspects, right? Because, sure. yeah. um, and so it depends, right? It depends on the headset because like yeah. something like the Oculus Quest, which is mobile, uh, mobile, it's a, like a mobile chipset, um, like a really advanced mobile chipset. But for something like that, I have to, in order to make sure my game runs well, I had to make sure I had really optimal textures. And then um, doing that while making sure the game looks decent because you know i don't think people go into vr expecting mind-blowing graphics but yeah. they do want it to look nice right right um, so i do i think tethered vr is a little it's a little bit easier to develop for but there's there's the complications because you're rendering in two eyes right so it's mm -hmm. basically like a split screen game all the time um yeah and it's it's more complex than that even right because it's a split screen game and you usually have a third camera that is in the center of both eyes so it's like you have a center eye that sees everything in front of you. You have a left eye and then you have a right eye. And then those give you the kind of stereoscopic like depth mm -hmm. perception that you need. Okay. Um, so it's just like a lot of rendering to get everything to look great. And yeah. then optimizing it is just, you know, of course, making it run well um, so that people can enjoy it and not get sick because your game hangs at the wrong time because mm. if I'm playing Beat Saber and it pauses, I'm I'm, I'm ruined, right? I, yeah. Right. I think, On the floor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and isn't there also like um, uh, like uh, shaders also represent an interesting unexpected challenge in VR because a lot of uh, texture shaders and materials rely on the fact that it's a single camera to trick you into thinking there's more detail. And in yeah, VR, right. you can't actually pull those same tricks, mm. right? Um, right? I wish I yeah. remembered more details, but I, I, I heard a talk a long time ago about just the simple things that make games, like going back to like the PS2 era, look mm. way more realistic than the, the sort of like, a, uh, you know, a, a, a mesh uh, that those right. uh, systems could do would allow. Suddenly you lose access to that tool. And even though the mm. computers are so much more powerful now, Suddenly, it's this weird handicap you didn't expect to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's interesting, and I for for what's worth, like I know you say that you're intimidated by it, Stephen, but I kind of feel like the un undefined spaces are VR. I think that's the most fun part, right? Because it's yeah. a lot of I've got so many projects where it's like we're gonna try this weird thing, and I don't know if it's gonna happen. I don't know if it's gonna work, but <laughs> yeah. let's go for it, right? Mm -hmm. And um. It's just cool, like seeing. It's cool seeing what works. It's cool seeing what doesn't work. It's cool seeing what's uncomfortable mm -hmm. because you just you kind of realize like the it when VR the games. It's not just about it's not just about the play experience. Like right, you're like there's a physical demand on your players and yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's just uh, it's um, just important to recognize like who your audience is and and who you want to play your game. I know. Games accessibility is a huge topic um, in general in games, but I know um, I saw Robin Hunnicky talk at the last Oculus Connect, and she was running a panel on um, uh, accessibility in games, and she made some really great points. Like, especially for our generation, we're going to get older, and we're going to want to. Like, I think I'm going to be a six year old gamer, right? Like, yeah. maybe thirty more years, I think I'm going to still be playing. Mm -hmm. And like, it's important we think about accessibility now because. We're like we're gonna be the people that the future game devs hopefully cater to, right? Yeah. So it's kind of important just to develop that language now. Mm. Like we want to know our audience, and we want to know who who can't play our games and what we can do to make sure that they can. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. That's totally important. And I like I like how you described uh, 
like VR is effectively uncharted territory, even though it's been around for uh, right. I don't remember the exact oh, wow. what two years, three years, four years. Oh, it's been around for a long. Actually, I think like the nineties, like Disney was doing like the virtual <laughs> Aladdin ride. Yeah, like, then, mm-hmm. you're right. So it's been it's been around for a while. Like, and we have um, what's the what's the uh, virtual boy? There you go. Right. Oh like, yeah. So, yeah. Of course. So of course, we. Yeah. We've been experimenting for a while. It's just now we actually kind of are in a place to actually build on like the core technologies, right? And there's right. more attraction. Like yeah. modern yeah. VR sort of started in like 2015, 2016, and like what? Yeah. It's 2020 now, so that's like 650 years ago. Is that You're right? <laughs> yeah. uh, give or take. Give or take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time is pretend right now, but yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> Makes the calendar math even more complicated. Yeah, <laughs> so it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, um, you said earlier uh, before we started recording that you are a VR dev that's working on Mac. I kind of love like you guys like really like it's like everything stopped like a record scratch in the background like <laughs> wow. interesting choice huh um, uh, yeah so um, I actually so the uh, I have two computers I have like a work PC that I'm using right now and then okay. Um, my, like, but my personal computer is my Mac, which I've had forever. And, um, it's what I've done pretty much all my unity development on for years at this point. And so when I kind of came to the conclusion, I wanted to dev in VR, I was like, well, can we make it work on a Mac? And I kind of explored and went down the rabbit hole. Um, and like, you know, Oculus gives you the tools. So I'm my games for the quest, uh, Oculus gives you like the tools and unity works on a Mac and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the most complicated part and the part that I've met people get stuck on and I have to give advice on is I had to go download homebrew for Mac so that I could have a mm-hmm. ADB access, which is Android, mm-hmm. Android debug something. Oh, um, sure. Android access, developer right. bridge, I think. There we go. That makes sense. Um, and so um, uh, that allows me to actually put the builds on my um, device, right? Yeah. Or like know if my headset's connected to the Mac or all that. So that like, otherwise it uh, to me it was a pretty straightforward process. But like okay. making sure you have a you download Homebrew to your Mac so that you can use ADB. That that was the core. Yeah. Are you more comfortable with Mac computers just in general? I was forced. Oh. I was forced. This okay. industry forced me into using a Mac computer. Um, <laughs> huh. Grew up in a PC only house forever, and yeah. then. My first job, my first week, they're like, yeah, so cool, Max. And I was like, never use one, but let's go. You know, oh, wow. I'm making, I guess we're making games. So <laughs> and, um, all my like, I first, my first few series were like mobile game studios. So oh, everything sure, yeah. was Mac development. And oh, that makes oh, yeah. so much sense. Yeah. You need Xcode, I, okay. right? Yeah. I yeah. can't stand that about like, in order for you to put anything on an iPhone, you need to have an Apple device. Like, yeah. you can't yeah. even access uh, Apple TV without a dang Apple <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. When I that. wanted to publish iOS yeah. games, yeah. even free ones, I needed to run mm-hmm. a virtual machine for, a, for right. a Mac, which is like, yes, they're both made by Apple, but they're utterly unrelated. There's no right. reason. Right. And it wasn't even to do the to develop the application. It was to upload it to the App Store. It was a yeah. a, a, a plug-in. And I'm like, this is like a thing I have a soapbox about. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of Mac development, uh, Unity, Unity was originally a Mac uh, IDE only. 
And it was oh. it came from a that. tradition of Mac developers. And for a long time, that's that is what uh, got a lot of people who were working on like design and web dev and stuff who were very much at home on the Mac. It got them into game development because there was this like growing place. And, you know, now mm-hmm. Unity is ex- extremely cross platform, um, mm-hmm. but it very much started in, in the Mac development. You can listen to an old episode of ours with our pal Matt Gravel, who has been using Unity since its early beta and is also a, a longtime Mac user. And that's what got him into it. Oh, I'm about to check that one out. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> good times. <laughs> um, I yeah. I wanted to talk about like the uh, like cost of like VR games for developers and consumers. Um, mm. I I I'm curious. Like, is it more expensive to develop? I mean, I guess you got to get the hardware right, and that's more expensive yeah. than a console sometimes. And I don't know. I, I assume they're more expensive. Like dev kits for consoles are expensive too, but like. Um, I'm wondering if if you feel like the cost of like developing on a VR device is more expensive for developers. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think the devices themselves are like that's kind of the choke point of VR becoming mainstream, right? Like it's it's I love I'm making a game for the Oculus Quest. I love the Oculus Quest. Mm-hmm. I can't. It's hard for me to tell other people, hey, drop five hundred dollars for my game, right? Yeah. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not just hey, whatever my game might cost. It's my game plus if you don't have a quest the cost of the quest um, right. and so um and then like the magic leap was like t- over two grand when it came out and mm-hmm. like, how like like they're they're expensive pieces of hardware right so mm-hmm. um there's no like developer kits you you basically buy the device and you just put it on um but um or i guess you could consider all the all of them developer kits depending on how you want to look at it because technically <laughs> the first magic leap was a developer kit itself like yeah, it's a uh, it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate how high the costs are, and like again, as far as like assets and stuff, that stuff's not more expensive. Um, right. It's more uh, it's more just that initial cost of getting the headset, which is mm-hmm. which is a bummer. Um, yeah. I really hope. I kind of feel like if if like if VR headset costs don't drop, which I hope they do, then I think VR arcades are the only way I can really see VR taking off, like in the relative near term. But then. The, the the virus happened, so right. that's unlike Yeah, not so near term. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well I, I know that like you can there are VR games you can get on your mobile devices. Um and I mm-hmm. normally when I think about VR games I don't consider that, but that is an aspect of it. And I every, every almost everybody has a phone at this point. So like right. um but like that is a potential avenue, and I think that people are trying to lean towards that some. But I don't know that there's been a lot of right. Not I don't know if there has been a lot of advancement in that area in that right. direction. The opposite of that, in fact, um, okay. Samsung yeah. has as uh, Samsung and Oculus are no longer developing the Gear VR platform. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. A lot of that got moved over. A lot of those developers got moved over to Quest. Okay, uh, which is good. Right. Which yeah. is they all had a life raft. But yeah. uh, Google has stopped Daydream development. Um, yeah, and uh, cardboard is still a thing, but it's very much <laughs> promoted as it always has been as like low cost uh, right. for for developers, hobbyist focused. Um, okay. I think the market just wasn't there enough, even though that is the easiest way to get into VR and the experiences, right. Right. you know, were not as as uh, robust, but still pretty good um, right. for essentially the cost of nearly nothing. Uh, it just didn't find the audience or the developer base. Well, it's a it's it introduces a really different way of gaming on your phone, right? Yeah, like you think about the way that most I think the bulk of people who do the majority of their gaming on their phone use their phone to play games. 
it's counter that that habit is counter to the idea of sitting down, putting on a headset and staying in one place. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like having a bicycle, but then also using it to run a generator. Like (laughs) they both both do the it does both those jobs, but they have nothing to do with each other. Right. They're very different. Right. So I think, yeah, it I I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back around later. But I think, you know, coming back to what Johnny was saying, like the cost might have to come down. Mm -hmm. I I think that's one area like so I I think we're going to be studying Pokemon Go for a long time because I think it I think it was a really special experience and I think like we're yeah. still kind of appreciating why like there's you know between Pokemon brand like the technology phones like I think a lot of things merge and people kind of all of it merged in a really uh, seamless way but I mm-hmm. think um I think that's one reason uh I was not a big augmented reality fan but after like seeing and understanding Pokemon Go like people have their phones on right yeah. And people like to game, but I think we like to game with our friends. Right. And I know mm-hmm. um, at my office before before the virus, uh, we would have the artist, um, a few of the programmers. I think, um, yeah, it's mainly the artists and the programmers. I think a couple of times producers joined us, but like there are 10 of us that would walk outside and we'd go on a raid because there's a raid right down the street from us. Oh, and yeah. we'd sit there and we'd talk like while we were doing this and we, you know, we'd, we'd uh, shoot the breeze and talk to each other the whole time. But, uh, but like it made it a social experience. And it was so funny because people saw us out there and the office across the street came out and they're like, hey, do you guys play? And we're like, yeah. And so Yay. they jumped in and like, it was, uh, we even, one time a guy was driving down the street and he actually stopped to join in our raid. Like, wow. I think there's something to like AR and having an experience that people can kind of just jump in on. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely think that's something that Pokemon Go does really well while being like an AR experience, being an AR experience that, you can play and not feel enclosed because I think that's another turnoff of VR, right? Like people yeah. don't like being trapped in a headset. That's kind of kind of, that's kind of the um, feeling that people have told me they gotten. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel that way, but I can see how someone who doesn't play VR much could feel that way. Yeah. So I definitely think the future of AR or AR glasses or whatever moving forward in that direction is going to be more about taking that social element and injecting it with like our real world spaces and um, giving people a way to like kind of bounce off each other, like really mm-hmm. make it a social thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating because I know that like, I I mean, again, I'm not super experienced with VR stuff, but I am under the impression that like VR chat, I know VR chat is still a thing and people still use that quite a lot. Um, But other than like that and maybe some like online multiplayer games, there's not a ton of social aspect in VR. And, that, and yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Like there's VR does kind of close you out from other people in a way that right. other games did not like even if you're playing an intense first person shooter on your Xbox One or whatever, um, you can still you can pause the game at any point and go to the kitchen. You could you know right. or or right. somebody can yell at you um, to turn the TV off or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You haven't left the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like there's a the, the the transition between I guess virtual and non virtual worlds is much easier outside of outside of the VR space. Whereas with VR, you got to put the helmet on. Um, and even if it's easy to put the helmet on, you're still like out. It blocks your vision from everything mm-hmm. else. Right. You're closing. Yeah. 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 Like you said, you're, you're closed in. It feels like, I think a lot of people experience that closed in thing. Like you were saying, um, it's like and I, closing the door when you're reading. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut. Yeah. You no, 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 oh. you're right. That's totally it. It's like closing. Yeah. It's like closing the door when you're reading. It's like, yeah, you're separating yourself um, in a way that 
doesn't allow you to be social. And I think that like in a lot of games, there is a social aspect to them that people enjoy. And it's, it's right. and VR is kind of missing that opportunity to uh, reach that audience. I wonder if missing is the right word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's you know, yeah. it's like, it's like sometimes you read with your, I'm just going to, this is my reading life here on the podcast. <laughs> sometimes you read with the door open, right? Because you're not really in, like you're only partly engaged and you're fine with somebody coming in and talking to you and it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's more casual. Yeah. Um, if you really want to focus or you really want to, you know, engage with the story or understand what you're reading, you might close the door so that you can be more immersed in, in the, in the act, in the mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of intentionality is behind VR because you're putting something on your face. Right. I will say, so I have experimented with VR chat and okay. um, I really, I enjoyed it because I wore a Courage the Cowardly dog skin. Um, and I was <laughs> nice. really feeling that. Um, <laughs> it was nice. Um, and, uh, but it, I will say, I, so I grew, you know, 90s kid. So I grew up with like fairly odd parents. And there was an episode yeah. where Timmy goes into a video game, right? Oh, and I it's feel one of like my favorite episodes, yeah. <laughs> VR chat, like VR chat was the first time I experienced that. Okay. Because it was such a weird, there was, there was a lot of weird stuff going on, but it was really surreal, weird. Like it's kind of like, it, it makes me think of like when I first went to chat rooms as a kid, right? Like it's, yeah. it's just, hey, people out in the world, I exist too. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we exist. And then you see him run off into a portal. And it's like, I want to follow that guy who looks like what? I saw so many. I saw like Charlie Brown or, you know, um, <laughs> there's so many. There's uh, a Fry from um, Futurama. Like, anyway, but uh, it was, it was just a really, yeah, it's a really interesting experience. And I think, I think there's something there. I just think we have to, I guess I'd say I would, I would love to deconstruct why, like, I don't know if you guys got into like chat rooms much as like teens or kids or whatever, but I kind of think it would be really good to go back and kind of study that and figure out how to make it feel communal like that. And in VR, I don't know if that's possible, but I'm yeah. kind of curious. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. What if like there was some kind of like Neopets thing in VR? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like Neopets are super popular, and I think a lot of the reason why people like Neopets too is that like they were able to create their own web pages and stuff in yeah. Neopets. Mm-hmm. If VR, okay, I'm I'm imagining a wild future. Y'all tell me if this is too crazy, but <laughs> I'm ready. I'm imagining I'm like I'm imagining VR in libraries where like maybe you can sign up to like have an hour or something on VR, and then like you can go in there and like you can build your own virtual world and stuff, and then like people can explore that world. Um, whenever they go to the library or outside of the library, if they have their own devices at home. Mm-hmm. And then like, yeah, cause then like VR could be accessible to anybody and you can explore it and develop it. If you're like a kid or something, but like, yeah, it would still pro- it like, then you, yeah, then it would be something that like right. anyone could experience. What we need to do, I guess is get VR in libraries. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> what you're describing is about is accessibility, but the, the, yeah. the types of experiencing experiences that are conducive to that, are things like uh, that that are very kid friendly, like Minecraft yeah. or Roblox, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Or or uh, maybe not as accessible to kids, but similarly approachable, or like um, right. you know, open blue sky, like Dreams, for which yeah. is which mm-hmm. can be done in VR. Right. The mm-hmm. the key is is like those experiences are really really suitable if if and maybe only if they're easily accessible. Yeah. Right. Right. And so right. that's that's a barrier for VR. Yep. Yeah, I think that's what Facebook is trying with Facebook Horizon. Like, that's their next big VR push thing. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's very much like that dreams robots kind of build your own environment. Like we're going to give you the tools and just create your own space type um, application. And uh, I'm super curious about it. I think they have a beta for it. I haven't like really followed much on it, but um, but I'm super curious. Um, Mm. It sounds like they're putting a lot of energy into it. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all the hate that Facebook gets, uh, deserved and undeserved, uh, both, uh, they are actually trying some interesting things, but they're like the only ones really focused on that because that's what their company is, right? And yeah. which ends up being like a thing that like players and developers don't want necessarily, mm-hmm. but is also, but like researchers and um, people imagining the future in VR get excited about. It. So mm-hmm. it's like a weird, yeah. it's, it might be a while before they're able to convince people that it's a good idea. And probably much longer for them to convince people to trust them with that idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what would be really valuable for VR games? VR developers. Tell me. Feedback. It's beautiful stuff. I love it so much. You can use that to iterate off your games and learn more about what is going well and what is going wrong with what you're doing. It also helps us on nice games. It's important. We like iterating off that. And we like we like giving listeners what they want. So if you give us feedback, we can provide that. I mean, sure, but like, how is that even possible, Stephen? Uh, we've got this little thing called the internet that we developed on our, you know, on our back end. Wait, <laughs> you developed the internet? The whole internet? <laughs> no, it was a team effort. We all did. <laughs> Use <laughs> plural. Develop the internet? <laughs> yes. Y'all develop the internet? <laughs> Together as Earthlings, we have made oh, the internet. Oh, everybody yeah. developed the internet. Yes. You can give us feedback at nicegames.club slash feedback. Um, one thing we're particularly looking for is where you're listening from. Uh, we get listeners from all over the world, but we'd like to know specifically where you're from. Uh, let us know and then we can start catering to that kind of that, that content that demographic so let us know at nicegamesbackclub slash feedback you all have to learn Japanese now as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent indeed survey and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast that's indeed.com slash podcast terms and conditions apply what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, oh, I don't know if y'all have been watching the Summer Games Done Quick. has been going on this over the weekend. Um, and From where we're sitting, anyway. Oh, yeah, from where we're sitting. Not <laughs> yeah, don't, don't um, run to Twitch now, listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go to YouTube. It's all there now. Yeah, it's all on YouTube. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but they sped run. They uh, did a speed run of um, Half-Life Alex, mm-hmm. which I found very fascinating because, like, it seemed like the person who was doing the speed run was, like, getting a workout because <laughs> they had to duck you under to, yeah. stuff and things like that. I haven't played the game before, but, like, uh, I was curious your thoughts on that, Johnny, like, uh, speed running a VR game, if that's something that is in the cards for the future i wouldn't be surprised right i think i think there's a lot of directions to go um yeah. i know i i think it was achievement hunters um one of they had one of their um one of their writers or one of their uh, a member of their team yeah. play through um what is it it's uh maybe it was the exodus like um or uh it was like a horror it was a horror game um and um Oh man, you know the movie where the girl throws up all over the priest and she's like The Exorcist? The Exorcist. There we go. The Exorcist <laughs> Exodus. What is that? The Exorcist. There we go. Yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Okay, the Exorcist, right? Yeah. yeah. So they ha- they they had somebody play through that mm-hmm. and so I'm, maybe I'm a bad person, but watching him go through this horror VR game was so satisfying. Huh. And it was fun <laughs> because it felt like I was we participating, right? Mm-hmm. As yeah. like has it's like they had two cameras, they showed the rest of the team on the couch watching them, and then I was at home watching them. And yeah. he's going through all this stuff, and you see a picture fly in front of his face, and he freaks out, and I freak out, and they <laughs> freak out. Yeah. And so I I think like watching people go through VR um, experiences in the future is gonna be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know a ton about speedruns, but I think one okay. of the most interesting things I saw on Gorn was a guy do a no weapons run, and he okay. was like an MMA guy. So he oh. like he basically fought like the AI and like no hands, and he was destroying them. Uh, but it was it was fast. Like he used actual real life skills and abilities mm-hmm. he had to destroy uh-huh. this AI he was competing against. Yeah, and um. I think that's really interesting, right? Because VR yeah. gives you as a person, like if you have skills, like if you one day will have foot trackers. And if you can kick some, like if you mm-hmm. can kick an enemy in the face, then you'll be able to do that in the game, which yeah. I think is really uh, 
it's interesting. It really adds a, like a human element to the game. Like yeah. that's beyond what programming can do, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I can give you hands in a game and then watch you do whatever you want with your hands. I think yeah. that's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang, that is cool. You're going to need a bigger living room now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't be doing flip- <laughs> or, or cheaper furniture. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> that's one of the challenges for designers, right? Is mm-hmm. to like create physical, real experiences, but without requiring, because games are abstract. Right. And I don't think yeah. a lot of designers, it, it's like a Eureka when you realize it's like, oh, I, I want to make like a, a VR boxing game. That sounds really fun. It's like, yeah, but I don't want to make a box. If I make a boxing simulator, then like that, a bunch of people who love fighting games will not be able to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Right. It appeals to a different audience and it becomes like a, a question of markets and, and uh, advertising. And like, yeah. like if you, you want to get, oh, this is a rhythm game, but in VR, that's the, that's the sell, sell for Beat Saber. And right. that works because rhythm games are physical. Right. So yeah. it, it's a very easy translation. But when you say it's a fighting game, but in VR, like I can't think. I mean, Stephen, that doesn't sound exciting to you as a fighting game. No, enthusiast, does no. it? The subject matter is different from the experience of playing. But exactly. if someone yeah. it, but like someone who loves like Ring Fit Adventure or mm-hmm. we fit or something might love an experience that is less sort of good for them, but still but still about engaging them physically in a, mm-hmm. a, a proper physical challenge, right? But yeah. then how, is the, how does the VR developer convince that person to play it? Because they're not looking for that kind of game, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, like what kind of genre of game is that? Because I think people like look at a, a genre and think, uh, oh, you know, I'm not into shooters or, or I really like RPGs. Um, yeah. how, would you, how would you classify a physical? I guess there are physical games, but like yeah. how would you classify it in a way that entices uh, uh, somebody to pick it up? Yeah, like I'm. I don't love shooters. Like, like, yeah. but I quite like uh, shooting like bow and arrow simulators and like gunplay in VR mm-hmm. because, right. like, I feel like I got pretty good actual aim. But like, right. and but I, but all the game, uh, super hot might be the exception because it's like very abstracted. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's sort of a it's not it doesn't uh, assume that much of you or ask that much of you to to assume going in. But for yeah. the most part, games like that are like very much in a similar milieu of of shooters in, in traditional games. And I don't like those so much. And so it's harder for me to get into games that I would actually quite like in VR because that, because it's analog genre doesn't appeal to me that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though that activity is like a total blast, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I'm not like, I enjoy puzzle games. I'm not like the biggest puzzle game fan, but yeah. there's a game called tumble VR on PS4. Right. And essentially it's like Tetris, except you have to stack the blocks to a certain height. And it's really interesting how that, that that just like being in the space kind of changes that because you have to like, okay, I'm going to place this piece here. This piece is bigger than that piece. I got to worry about the balance because the physics are involved Mm -hmm. and kind of, it's just interesting, like whether that dimension can help or hurt a game. And I know Tumble, I feel like they did a really good job. I like that game. That's a game that's easy to show people too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, uh, oh, you know, there's a couple of good first time VR experiences. That's one Mm -hmm. of them. Because even if you're garbage at it, like it, you get it, and like you have you have a good time, even if you can't do very well with it, right? Yeah, it's just because it can just be playing with blocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Having the additional, what's the additional sensory input for VR, um, and the additional like I think physics challenges and immersion that that brings makes me think about describing the, the genres that we've been talking about, like in different ways. Cause we, you know, Mark, you said, well, Beat Saber, that's a rhythm game. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a dancing game. Ah, Oh, 
Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's just my experience with it. Like when I love yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't played Beat Saber a ton. I'm not very good at it. But like when I do play it and when I watch other people play, what I really like watching is not when they get a super high score, but when they're executing well in ways that are very stylistically appealing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, so if I'm like dodging a wall in Beat Saber, I'm like trying to hold my wand still while I'm still dancing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting because like, and then like thinking about the puzzle game where you're balancing things and like, oh, I guess that's that's a balancing game. Not that there aren't balance yeah. elements in other in other games that are on other platforms, um, but it just doesn't feel then like a balancing game because the physics, I think, aren't as like present. If that makes sense. Yeah, right. Hmm. Yeah. I think that like certain VR games are better displayable, like uh, Tumble VR. Uh, and I think that like uh, going back to what you were saying before, Johnny, I think that like that aspect of or a person can like show players what they're seeing in VR and what they're experiencing in their body in the middle of VR. Like that can be a fascinating avenue into making it more of a social exercise between players. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Like I think that would be I think that would be good. Um, and like like you're saying, Ellen, with like um, Beat Saber and how like people have to like uh, move their bodies in certain ways in order to like dodge things and hit the. I've never played Beat Saber. <laughs> You got it right. Uh, you got to dodge things and hit the beat and something like that. Uh, <laughs> like that can look cool and on in, in display and like it can make. And that's something that like players, like spectators watching that can like can feel that presence, I think, in the moment, too. That will make it more appealing just to mm-hmm. even have it as a watching thing. It's like a spectacle sort of thing. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. And that's something like you said before the conversation, Mark, you mentioned Facebook. Right. And that's kind of. Like social sharing is their thing, right? And that's yeah. definitely something they should amplify more with the Oculus Quest uh, or Oculus in general, right? Like, because there is something special about watching. I feel like sometimes when you play a VR game, you're the star of a movie. Like, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's fun watching your friend be the star for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's something that Facebook definitely should play on or play with a little bit more. That's kind of yeah. goes back to the, the talk, the discussion we were having about the horror games in VR. Like, we talk about horror sometimes on this podcast and then like how none of us really play it very much. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I don't watch horror movies often is because I'm just not into what happens to that character. I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't go in that room and you're going to anyway. So <laughs> tough, but yeah, like adding additional, adding additional layers between me and the experience. Usually I feel like would you know, remove me more from that experience. But in this case, if I'm watching someone go through a game and I, like that person and I'm invested in their performance. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm way more invested in what happens in the story of the horror game than I would be if yeah. I were just watching some random Hollywood person, you know, yeah. eat it. <laughs> yeah. I mean like that social, that social experience of VR of watching people play VR. I used to run a monthly VR meetup where uh, we had a bunch of systems and people came and just played them, right? It was sort of like, it was a little bit like a, a library, right? For, for one yeah. night only. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that was that was fun to do because it got more people interested in VR. We could have VR developers come show off their stuff. Um, but it was really just fun to watch people play. And that mm-hmm. is an experience that is very much like a, a, a couch co-op game, even if you're not playing. And one of the things that a lot of people have said is like, oh, it's pandemic times. Now's the time for VR. <laughs> because we can we can enter these worlds. We have all this time on our hands. You know, no one's going out on the weekends. Like, yeah. but but in my experience, I've played less VR since I've been locked yeah. in at home. Hmm. Because a big part of it is 
a big part of enjoying VR is like introducing it to other people. And yeah. I take a turn, then you take a turn. And yeah. that is something that I don't think is explicitly part of the development of VR games. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. but when when people f- figure out that that's a part of the big appeal, I can't wait to see what people do with that in the design space. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I guess to go to Ellen's point, um, probably one of my favorite moments in VR, and I'm a terrible brother. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, so <laughs> I'm excited for this story. There's... There's a, a PSVR experience again. So like the one that I showed my mom where like you're in an underwater cage, but it has basically three settings. So the first one's like just like, hey, you're in a cage for like two minutes and you're just kind of looking at like the fish and stuff swimming around you. The second one, it starts, the cage starts to go down and you start to see what's deeper in the cave. Mm-hmm. And then the last stage, there's a shark at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And oh. so <laughs> I kind of put my sister in. She was really enjoying herself. Poor thing. And um, (laughs) as the cage lowered, um, there's a point where it's like, oh, we're picking something up on the tracker. Um, And she starts to freak out, right? And so then you start to see the shark swim around. And then at the end of the experience, the shark almost gets you. And to hear the scream, I was in tears. Oh man! Because of remorse, I love her so much. I love you, Shani. I love you, Shani. Huh? Because of remorse? Huh? You were crying because of remorse? I'm guessing not. Um, I I I love her. You know, I love her. She, you know, (laughs) you know, she. um, (laughs) That was a great diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of the best VR moments. She she was definitely upset with me a little bit, but you know she's my sister. So I mean, what if I'm if I'm if I'm not messing with you, do I even love you? Like right, right, right. right. yeah. Kind of That's what I tell my brother that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, but. It was really good, and it, to speak to your point, right? That's my sister watching her go through this whole experience and just being anticipation because I just know the moment the shark scene starts up, she's gonna just like watch her body language change, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I love you, and I made sure I was around so like she wouldn't run off and like hurt herself. Like I made sure yeah. I like cleared the area, <laughs> but um, but I just had to get that reaction and just let her. Just, Did she ever yeah, get you back for it? Um, you know, I we have a whole childhood of her getting me back, so I don't think that's called for. Okay, got it. You, know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you still have a couple on your side of the ledger that you got to check uh, off before she. Gets yeah, back. you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> Just today, yeah. Uh, Johnny sends his regards. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johnny, I want to ask, uh, what? So, what? What's? Uh, a thing in VR that you would like to do, but you can't because of the current technical limitations or dev limitations of, mm. uh, of VR medium. Hmm. <laughs> good question. Right? That's a good question. Boy, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, pie in the sky, right? Like, Matrix without, like, the possibility of it killing you or Sword Art Online, like, I'd yeah. love somebody to be fully immersed, like, feel the wind blow on you type experiences, right? Yeah. Like, um, but, um, or the Oasis from Ready Player One, um, anything like that, right? Like, because I do think, I think VR is really good at making you present and allowing you to just kind of exist in a space. Sure. I just think, I know when I've played VR, um, I think my favorite moment in VR is when you either hurt yourself or you realize 
when you forget that you're in a VR experience, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, I played a game called Drunken Bar Fight, which I really enjoyed. Basically, mm -hmm. you go to a bar and you just start swinging at guys <laughs> and they swing back. And um, <laughs> I was having a really good time. I was fighting this guy and like they, you know, they talk trash you throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And so this dude's on the ground and like I was going to get one more in and I swing. And the moment I should connect with his body, I feel metal on my knuckle oh. and I hear a loud ring and I just punch my coffee table. Oh, <laughs> and it hurt. Oh, it hurt. It hurt for a couple of days. Uh -huh. But um, I think um, I think those moments are really magical. I like I really enjoy those because I think like to get so lost in the experience or I had a friend. He was like sneaking a along a wall. I think it was an Apex Pex construct. And like he like actually leaned to be a, like lean against the wall to sneak around the corner and he fell. And like huh. that to me, like those like. There's a magic to that, and I kind of wish, mm -hmm. I almost wish that people could have the satisfaction of being so lost that they could just really, like, be in in the experience for a yeah, moment. Yeah, if that, yeah. 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 If you could actually develop those experiences instead of just happen upon them, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm. We've talked about a couple of these on the show before. Like, I think I've told this story where I was at Oculus Connect one year, and I was demoing super hot. And I, I swung my my fist to punch a guy, and I hit the actual guy who was demoing it for me. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he was like leaning in to like jiggle a cable, and just didn't realize I was there. Which is like when you're demoing a VR, you've made that mistake before. And I just like <laughs> hit him right in the face, and it was the most confusing moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Stephen, you talked about uh, you were demoing a VR thing a friend of ours made, and you yeah. were convinced. That there was like a, a refrigeration effect on your hands. Yeah, or yeah, like that, that was right? so wild. Okay, yeah, there was just um, there was a uh, yeah demo we had played where like um, they had like a hand tracking thing. I think there was some light that was following your hands, or I had gloves on. I can't fully remember, hmm. but um, yeah, like I could just pick up stuff with my hands. Um, but when I was picking things up, I I swear I felt a sensation in my hands that like made me feel like there was something there. It wasn't the object I was picking up because like I was picking up a vase or something, and like. I felt some sensations, like some like force hmm. um, on it, but it wasn't like I was feeling the actual vase. I, I just felt like there was something there. And right. so when You're I um, convinced it was just some tech. Yeah, I thought it was part of the game. I was like, how did they manage to get my hands to feel that? And then like the, the demo arm was like, uh, no, that's not in the game. That was just your own mind doing that's that. so your cool. Body doing that. And that freaked me out for like the next couple of days because <laughs> I was right. like, how is how did right. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I Think that's something I really. Uh, one of my favorite designers, Valmore Riera. He, um, yeah. we we talked about this before, and I think there's a very primal connection with VR. Like a good mm -hmm. VR experience, you very much. Yeah. I guess it's kind of it goes back to like that whole exorcist experience, or my sister screaming at the shark, mm -hmm. or me punching yeah. the coffee table, right? Like yeah. you, you very much connect to. I don't. I guess lizard brains usually what they say, right? But mm -hmm. like it's a there's a level of perception that is beyond I'm playing a game, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like yeah. you really commit to, and uh, and uh, I think, I, I just, I think there's something really special about that, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. I, I look forward to like playing stuff and making stuff that explores more of that. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, it, I think when I was in that moment and when I'm thinking about like all of the moments that we've shared here, I think that like the experience is like a part of yourself. Yeah, like I guess you're a lizard brain or like the in the back of your head, the back of your head, actually believes that you're in a virtual world and is right. like changing how your body is reacting to things as mm -hmm. a result of that 
if there was a way to actually develop that and put it into a game, is that what you're looking for from a game? Maybe. I mean, I think it'd be interesting. I just always yeah. get nervous about Sword Art Online. You know, I'm just <laughs> I don't want the nerve gear. I don't want like yeah, I don't want the horrible Black Mirror episode where the dudes bring. Well, okay, I guess that's a split, but I don't want the horrible <laughs> the horror VR Black Mirror episode. You yeah. know, like yeah, like. It sounds really interesting to have like a neural link to something like that, but yeah. I'm a programmer and I know yeah. what bugs look like and I don't <laughs> want a bug involving yeah. my brain ever. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Johnny, whether you think, if there's even an answer to this question, do you think that um, mm-hmm. the, the most significant developments in VR over the next few years will be technical or do you think they're going to be more around like figuring out some specifics of human perception reaction and psychology to help make those experiences more immersive um i think it's both and so i think this is a good time to mention hamilton because i've been addicted to it mm-hmm. but my girlfriend <laughs> got me addicted to it but um mm-hmm. i've i've been consumed with it and i was trying to figure out and i feel like the more i kind of break it down the more i realize probably the best example we've probably had in history of maximizing world building in a small space are theater, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, and it really resonated with me. Like I, I'm kind of I'm studying it. I'm really trying to explore it because I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it has a great sense of motion and it's constantly, stuff is constantly happening and you, it's the same set, but the way they light it, the way the dancers move around it, it just constantly feels like it's moving and you can see the different environments it takes place in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, I would really, I, I think we have a lot of exploration to see like how stuff like theater and how they approach things and how they sell, like how they affect people's emotions and really, um, really connect with uh, viewers. I think mm-hmm. that that's something we can definitely all learn from. And yeah. then I do think technologically, right. I think you, you mentioned uh, Stephen about, like that tactile feedback. And I know one thing that excites me about the PlayStation 5 is the idea that the controller is supposed to have this strong sense of tactile feedback, whether you're playing a racing game or um, I know Mark Cerny wrote it in his paper, but like there's, they're supposed to like the tech spec or whatever they wrote. But um, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be a strong tactile sense throughout. And I'm kind of curious how they integrate something like that into VR. Um, I know I've, I went to E3 one year and I, Put on one of those badges so I could feel like a paintball game. Me and a girl were playing. We shot each other, and it was mm. interesting feeling the bullets or the paintballs hit me in the chest or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we we both freaked out about that a little. But um, <laughs> I think so. I guess to answer your question, Ellen. I think it's both of those, right? I think it's both understanding how we can connect with people better. Um, and I think VR so new that we're trying a lot of game stuff, and I think. That that's important, mm-hmm. but I think that the connection I want with my players isn't the connection they have with Mario, right? Like that's not yeah. that's not where my I, that's not where I'm looking for my games to go. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And uh, so uh, yeah, so I think it's both. I think it's both. Yeah, that'll be. I mean, it's going to be so fascinating to watch. We should we could that's revisit cool. this conversation every six months and probably have an entirely new set of things to talk about. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, when uh, when Galactic Bar Fight is released, we can have you back mm-hmm. and we can uh, update the state of VR, which, by the way, we cannot let you escape without telling us more about the game you're working on. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you kindly. Um, yeah. So Galactic Bar Fight is it's a game I've been working on for about a about I guess it's going to be close to a year soon. Um, I'm solo devving it, which was not the original intention, but here we are. Um, yeah. So I designed it. Um, I'm programming it. Um, it's essentially it's a wave-based action shooter game um, that takes place in like a sci-fi bar environment. And um, it's still pretty simple. My prototype's pretty basic. You can, you know, you can grab the laser sword and slash enemies and they slice into pieces, which I love. Um, <laughs> you can shoot laser guns. Um, I'm pretty happy with the sound design and stuff. I need to do like another visual pass um, to just get like my first level demo. And then I have an AI problem that I've been moaning about for a while, but um, I'm trying to work my way through it because it's probably the most complex AI I've worked on so far. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, I think when the, I think of the emotions I want the game to create, I'm, I grew up on smash TV and serious Sam, and yeah. I really would love a really hectic, almost, almost kind of, well, when you see Bayonetta, um, mm -hmm. it like move around and shoot. Like I kind of almost want people to have that dancing, shooting, like chaos, Beautiful yeah. chaos, like right. Yeah. That's, that's um, so. I'm working on it. I'm still having like I'm trying to create the foundation, but I really look forward to like creating more destructibility and more things people can kind of play with in the environment to get that sense of like I'm doing a whole lot of destruction and it feels really good. And I'm like I, I want my players to feel like a badass at the end of the day. <laughs> personally, like that's my goal. Um, so yeah, I look forward to uh, to developing it further. Yeah. Fantastic. In in bringing out my inner Michelangelo, that sounds awesome, <laughs> and I want to play it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good times. Oh, I guess before we end, Donnie, is there anything you wanted to bring up um, in relation to VR that we didn't talk about yet? Um. So, am I? I guess just to kind of go a little bit more into like motion and VR, right? I yeah. And it's this really rough idea I have, but I feel like in VR, when you're developing VR, there's almost a currency of motion that you're asking your users to expend on your app, your application, okay. right? Hmm. Um, okay. And so um, Thrill of the Fight is a boxing game, um, and it, um, it's a lot of fun. It's also really hard, but basically hmm. it's a virtual reality boxing game. And as I was playing it, like, there's a point, like, where physically I just can't throw punches, right? Like, we're round two, and I'm kind of I'm tired. The yeah. AI is still coming at me. I have to block and bob and weave and whatnot. Yeah. And... Um, it's just kind of the understanding that, like, I know it's something I've had to work on in my games, but it's kind of just the understanding that every time you create a new functionality or a new interaction in VR, you are placing this certain energy and movement demand on your users. Mm -hmm. And I guess yeah. that kind of goes back into, like, accessibility, right? It's, like, yeah. understanding, like, it's not, you're not asking them to push a button, you're asking them to do a thing. And mm -hmm. that yeah. that has a cost. And if you if you get your players tired, like something like Thrill of the Fight, I expect a boxing game to be kind of intense. I expect Beat Saber to be intense. Uh, I think Super Hot, my movements are a lot more uh, tight and a lot slower because I'm sure. trying not to get shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just kind of understanding like what, I guess what that cost you're expecting from your users are and designing within the understanding of that. Like mm -hmm. you can't keep on expecting your users to jump through hoops and then like they're gonna get gas halfway through the level and then no one's going to finish your game, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. I just think that's, I think that's something that I wasn't a fan of, like, the Rocky game. It came out, and it was more, mm. 
it was kind of mini gamey and i think i think it was just really frenetic like throughout yeah. the fight for what it's worth like it you know you might have two minute rounds but it gives you a, a minute to like cool down like the actual boxing fight match mm-hmm. right, right. Okay. like so you go to your corner and i'm sucking wind and then like the bell rings i'm like all right let's go Um, but um but i just think it's really important to understand when you're designing like making sure that you do create those breaks or giving your users a chance to like just like their safe room right like like the um typewriter in resident evil just give them that chance to go and uh, we're going to decompress for a moment before we go back into the action especially if it's like something that's really physically Mm -hmm. yeah that's good yeah pacing in vr is very different yeah 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 so Johnny, uh-huh. for lis- for listeners who don't already know about your work, where can we find you on the internet? Well, um, I actually I probably accept too many LinkedIn invites. So if you look at Jonathan <laughs> Jennings and VR, then I'm um, right there. There's that. Um, I, my Twitter is at JohnnyJ17. Um, I'm a little politically charged right now, so I apologize in advance if you um, add me because I'm I feel very strongly about. Um, which I think a lot of us do, but I feel really strongly about what's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never apologize for that. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and um, uh, in my Instagram is chocolatebear1990. Um, I like to write on Quora. So if you look up Jonathan Jennings and like game dev on Quora, um, I like to answer people's questions because I get really frustrated when gamers call game devs lazy because I think of all like I, I've done some bad stuff when I've made games but I don't think I've ever been lazy like I've made poor decisions <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. released bad things lazy though that I just feel like that's always uncalled for mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we've had some words on that topic before I bet <laughs> <laughs> as you should as you should <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well that's our show Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's guest, Jonathan Jennings. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. And tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club slash feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice hosts on Twitter at NiceGamesClub where Dale tweets about game dev resources and the frog cat, the the frog parentheses cat, end parentheses. (laughs) Confused too? Follow us on Twitter to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Or you could just email us through contact at nicegames.club if, you know, you don't want to look at frog cats. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I derailed us, but we can go on to the next one. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.